Man, that looks like fun, doesn't it? Hey, good morning, and uh, happy Mother's Day to everybody in the room. Not the guys, but at least to the ladies, right? If you're joining us online, happy Mother's Day. Maybe, uh, maybe you're watching us uh, from a boat somewhere. I don't know, but we're glad you're here. But today is a, is a good day, man. It's, a, it's Mother's Day, and we get to acknowledge one of the most important relationships in life. And, uh, and so we want to celebrate the moms today. Hopefully, like I said, I heard Wes tell you guys earlier, there's some special stuff for the moms over here in the cafe. And the, they've kind of gone above and beyond to take care of you guys and make you feel special today. Uh, so hopefully you, it is a good day for you. Maybe when you leave here, it'll get even better. They'll, you know, somebody will give you a gift or somebody will take you out to lunch or whatever. But let me just say this. I know it's also a tough day for some ladies. And so uh, we want you to know we understand uh, that, that is, uh, th- this is a tough day. And so we, we're praying for those that maybe today is that hurtful day that they want to be a mother. And so I think it all, it adds all the more to how important it is that we see this as a privilege. You know, just that bumper video, you know, where it showed what we do here at Journey Church and some of the things that we do. We're always reminding ourselves, you know, it's a privilege that we get to gather. It's a privilege that we get to do what we get to do. And uh, so we tell our, our staff that all the time. Hey, guys, what we get to do is a privilege. And so being a mom is a privilege. It's something that God has entrusted you with. And, uh, and so we hopefully you'll see that. But also being a dad is an incredible privilege. So today we're talking about a, a, a message really that will speak to all of us, everybody in the room. So if you're here and you're a dad, you say, hey, it's Mother's Day. It's probably speaking to them. Don't check out. If you're a young person and you think, all right, well, this is probably for mom. So I'm going to check out. I'm going to hit my phone. Don't do that. I want you to kind of stay with us today. We're going to look at, really, it's it's an issue about the heart. It's the right heart for helping others. Every one of us is supposed to help somebody, right? And we know that moms are good at helping, sometimes too much, right? And so they're really good at helping. But, uh, you know, oftentimes we can kind of get in a a, a rhythm, if you will, to where we're kind of crossing the line. And we're not helping anymore. We're hindering those around us. And so, uh, you know, Laurie and I have been going through a lot of transition here over the last few weeks. We, uh, we kind of like crazy. We sold our house and, uh, we were planning on building. And of course, building costs skyrocketed. So we may not be building. So we're moving into an apartment. And you're thinking, dude, I don't know if I'm going to do well in an apartment, but that's where we're going. And so we've been working in, and I will say this, Laurie has been working for like six weeks. She's very systematic, very detailed. So she's got to have this plan. I can't even put stuff. Like I'll put it in and she goes, that doesn't go there. You know, guys have to deal with that, man, man. But she's like, that doesn't go there. It's got to go here. And she has to have order. She has to have structure and all these things. And so we're working through that as our son is graduating. So it's kind of like, what else could we throw in the mix, you know? And, and so anyway, there's just a lot going on. But the thing is, I look back and I am so thankful for Lori. She is that planner. And she does do a great job of thinking through details. And she does so much more than we ever give her credit for and acknowledge. And so... I'm thankful for that kind of mother to my children, but also that kind of lady that cares about the details. So anyway, maybe if you're one of those ladies, hey, we, we applaud you today. Thank you for all that you do. But the right kind of heart for helping others. This is important for us to understand. Every one of us are supposed to help people. That's what we're called to do. But we, what we have a tendency to do sometimes instead of helping them, we begin to want to judge them, criticize them, whatever. And we kind of move in the wrong direction. So let's talk about the right kind of heart. It says, do not judge others and you will not be judged, for you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. In other words, man, if I judge somebody a certain way, then I have to be careful because I'll be judged in that same way. And, and so what we do is we look around and we say, hey, that's not a great mom. It's not a great dad. It's not a great student. It's not a great whatever. 
and we begin to point out things in other people's lives, judging them. Well, they're not a very good witness. They're not a very good Christian. They're not a very good. And so Jesus is addressing this on the Sermon on the Mount about being careful about judging others. He says, and why, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? And that's what we have a tendency to do, don't we? We see something wrong with somebody else and we, well, we can point that out, you know, and, and we forget that, you know what, man, I've got issues as well. That's why I tell people all the time, I said, man, we're all broken people. I have to be careful about judging someone and talking about how they have blown it or they've messed up, whatever, because you know what? I've blown it. I've messed up. We all have. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. We were all in need of a Savior. And so why worry about a speck in someone else's eye whenever I've got my own issues? Really, the, the person I want to work on is, is me. We just got through singing that song, Build My Life. You know, God, build my life on your word, on your teachings. We just challenge these, these parents. Build your life. Build your marriage. Build your family on the word of God. Those things that will last forever. It's a firm foundation. And so why would we be so worried about what everybody else is going through or what they're dealing with than we are dealing with our own heart? And so if we want to have the right heart to help people, we've got to make sure our heart is right with God. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? And so what what we often want to do is we want to help somebody else. That makes us feel good when really what we need to be doing is working on our own heart. And then we can work. We can help them with a pure heart and we can come with them with the right motivation. And so it says hypocrite first, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And so what we've got to be willing to do is we've got to be willing to say, God, help me to get my heart right. And, and, and maybe there's a mom or a dad or a young person or a grandmother, grand, grandparent or whatever in here that, you know what, you need to go. You know what, I'm constantly pointing out what's wrong in someone else's life, in my life, but I really need to deal with my own issues. And so over the last few weeks, we've been talking about comebacking over and over and over the message that we see. Old Testament, New Testament, you know, Jesus, Peter, Paul, all of them is, hey, you know what, confess your sins, repent of the sins, turn to God. And so there, there's oftentimes that we're so focused on somebody else's problems, we don't deal with our own. We don't deal with our own issues. And so I want to kind of give you a couple of things. I'm going to kind of move through these kind of quick. But these are some things that we do when we break this command that Jesus has given us. We break this command when we think the worst of others. When you see someone, you automatically go south on them. You automatically think the worst. And, let me, and I've shared this before. I grew up super insecure. And so because of my insecurities, I always wanted to find something wrong with someone else to make me feel better about myself. That is sick. But that's how I was. And I wasn't a believer. I grew up in a home that was pretty dysfunctional. I had a dad that was kind of negative in, towards his, uh, you know, how he spoke to all of us. And, and it was just, it was, I just grew up in that home. And that was kind of my mentality. So I always wanted to find something wrong with somebody else to make me feel better about myself. That's just jacked up. And if that's you, you need Jesus in your life and you need God to change your heart. When I, when I met my wife, Laurie, we were in college, and she kind of, one night, you know, I said something about somebody, and she was like, why do you always try to find something wrong with somebody? Is it to make you feel better about yourself? And it was like, bam, whoa. Like, where'd that come from? But she was spot on. And what I was doing, I was breaking the commandment that we just read in, 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 uh, in Matthew chapter 7 there. So we have to be careful not to do that. So here's another one. We break this command when we only speak to others of their faults. The Bible says to encourage one another, to build each other up, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And a lot of times the only thing we can find is what's wrong with somebody. And we want to point out their faults and what they've done wrong and what they're not good at. And I don't like this, I don't like that. And listen, it's not just your family 
It can also be leaders in your, in your community. It also could be leaders in your, your nation. It could be people in the world. But we often, we always want to find their faults. Let's focus on their faults. And that goes against what Jesus taught us. Here's another one. We break this command when we judge an entire life only by its worst moments. That one speaks, doesn't it? We judge their, everything, their whole, you know, it's based on one bad mistake. You know, and there's people that have made mistakes and, you know, the rest of their life, they have to live with that stigma because there's somebody that is going to break that command that Jesus gave us. And they're constantly going to point back to what they did. And let me tell you, Christians are the worst about this sometimes. Christians are the worst. You know, I, I think about, you know, pastors or coaches or somebody who's blown it. They made a mistake and man, we want to, we want to barbecue them for the rest of their life. I think about the message of, you know, the story about Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze blew it. He, he blew it. Man, but he came out, he confessed that. Him and his wife went through restoration. But everybody wants to point out everything that he did wrong in those moments. And that's what hangs on that guy. And Christians are the worst about doing this sometimes. We love to shoot our wounded rather than praying for them and coming alongside of them and encouraging them to be maybe different moving forward. Maybe they need support. Maybe they need prayer more than our criticism. And so whenever we do that, we, we literally go against this commandment. We break this command when we judge the hidden motives of others. We always think we know why they're doing something, right? We really don't sometimes. But we want to judge their hidden motives. I think this is why they're doing it. We have to be careful about that. Here's another one. We break this command when we judge others without considering ourselves in the same circumstances. It's kind of like the old Indian parable. Hey, listen, don't. Judge a man unless you've walked a mile in his moccasins. You know what I'm saying? And so we have to be careful that we go, well, I would have done this or I would have done it. You don't know. You haven't been there. But what we do is we want to tell everybody, well, this is what I'd have done. You don't know that. You don't know the pressure of the situation. You don't know the details. And so we often want to, we want to judge someone based on those things. And here's, I think it's the last one. We break this command when we judge others without being mindful that we ourselves will be judged. And we have to be careful that, you know, we're judging people. We're always wanting to find something wrong in someone else's life. But we've got to understand, you know, we'll stand before a judge, the righteous judge, the one true judge one day. And so we have to be careful that we're not judging and breaking this command that Jesus has given us. But we're looking and a lot of people say, well, Mike, you know, the Bible says to look for the fruits. I agree with that. You know, the fruits of a changed life, man, the fruits of someone who has put their faith in Christ. If you pray to receive Christ and you tell everybody, man, I got saved, but you still live like hell and you still do whatever you want to do and you still live every way that you can to break the teachings of God, man, I'm going to tell you, the fruit says you're probably not saved. You may have made a decision. You may have prayed a prayer. You may have walked through the front of a church. But if there's no change in your life and there's no fruit, there's no evidence, there's a real good indicator there that you have not truly been saved. But what we'll often do is we'll say, man, I made a decision. Yeah, but where is the fruit of that? So the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of God working in our life begins to show up and people see that. And, and they go, man, there's no question. There's no question. There's life change in this person's life. So we have to be careful, though, but we will be judged. So if we're judging and we're always kind of criticizing, we're always kind of tearing people down, we need to be careful because we will be judged in that same way. Now, I want us to talk about something else that, that comes in. Praise and criticism. Praise is something that we do to applaud someone, to, you know, to acknowledge them, to recognize them. You know, here we are at graduation, and there's a lot of award ceremonies going on, and so we're, we're, we're praising the kids. You know, hey, they, they've made it, they graduated, maybe some by the skin of their teeth, but hey, you know what? They're getting to walk across stage, you know, and so you're celebrating that, and everybody's clapping it up, woo you know, and they're, and they're praising them, right? 
Now, you, you know, we think back sometimes as parents, we go back, you know, man, it was a struggle to get them there. You know, I, I'm sure my mom and dad were thinking, thank goodness he finally graduated or he got through there or whatever. But we, we praise people and sometimes we can praise people and it's not really genuine. It's not authentic. And people are able to see through that. And then here's the other thing we criticize. A lot of times we're, we're criticizing people and there's motives behind those things. And we're going to kind of unpack that. And what those things do, they reveal a lot of times, you know, what's going on in our heart. But, you know, criticism is one of those things where it's, it's feedback at times and it can be good. Like we always say here, constructive criticism or feedback is the breakfast of champions. So we're always critiquing what we do as a church and as a staff. And we're asking, hey, how do we do this better? How do we improve? And so I think, I think everybody that wants to be, to be the best that they can be at something or be the best that they can be at what God has called them to do, you're always critiquing. You're always asking, hey, how do I improve? How do I, how do I raise the bar? How do I raise the standard? And how do I become the best that I can be? And so those are questions we have to ask. So let's unpack these a little bit. And here's a great passage that speaks to it. It says, better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. There are some people that don't like criticism at all. In this culture, nothing can be criticized, it seems like. You know, and if you say anything negative or if you give anybody, you know, what could, would be considered constructive criticism, that's seen as negativity. And that's just the wrong mentality to have. We've got to have thick enough skin to be able to take some criticism and then work on what we need to work on. But look at what it says. Better to be criticized by a wise person. So someone who has wisdom, someone who has walked ahead of you, someone who's trying to help you. It's good to listen to that criticism. They may say, hey, listen, you know what? You need to put some guardrails around your marriage. And you go like, what does that mean? You need to be more committed to your marriage. What does that mean? You know, you need to, you need to study more. If you really want to make the best possible grade, you're going to have to put more time in the show. What does that mean? And so what we do is we kind of get blown up. And really what we need to go is, you know what? You're right. Someone who has walked that road ahead of you can oftentimes help you avoid some of the potholes. And so we listen to the criticism. Maybe it's constructive. And nobody likes constructive criticism. Yeah, I've, I've joked with you guys. You know, I walk off the stage and every week I walk off the stage and I tell, I ask our, our associate pastors, hey, listen, any feedback on the message, anything that I blew it on? Like earlier when I was doing a parent presentation, man, I got tongue tied and like, what the heck? You know, so I got to go back and fix that. So we're always trying to work on stuff. And so I walk off and I ask them, I ask my wife, hey, any feedback on the message? I'll ask some of the ladies, any feedback on the message? Why? Because I want the message to be clear and I want it to be effective. But oftentimes they'll say stuff and I'm like, well, I don't necessarily agree with you on that because it kind of hurt my feelings. You know what I'm saying? That's constructive criticism. But, you know, they're like, hey, that went over like a lead balloon. And I'm like, excuse me? You know, type. so there's time. Hey, and I wouldn't say this if I were you. And I'm like, all right. So I don't like it to begin with. Nobody does. Right. But after you step back and you look at it and go, yeah, I can see how that would come across that way. So we do that. Because we want to be what? Effective, clear, communicators. And so better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. There's plenty of people that will celebrate who you are and what you're doing, and it is not honoring God. They're a fool. The world is full of fools that tell us, hey, man, you're okay. You do what you want to do. You do what feels good for you. you know, and so we have that mentality all around us, so we have to be careful. So here's a couple things. Praise often reveals what you value most. So like... For a mom or a dad, sometimes what we do is we, we praise what someone has done well that we like. It's our value, but it may not be their value. So moms and dads, you know, I understand we're supposed to influence our kids. We're supposed to teach our kids. But oftentimes, you know, there may be a dad who he loves sports, but his son is not, you know, he's just not an athlete. It, but we constantly, you know, are trying to praise that 
But that child is like, I, I don't care anything about it. And so we praise those things that really don't mean anything to that child. Or maybe it's a, an employee or whatever. You know, you, you got to figure, hey, what are their strengths? What are their gifts? What are their abilities? And then men encourage in those areas and praise those areas. So we have to be careful that we're not just trying to push what we want. And then here's the other one. Criticism often reveals your deepest insecurities, just like I told you about me. My deepest insecurities are what always seem to be the things I pointed out in other people. You've probably heard that before. The things that we dislike the most in other people sometimes are the things that we struggle with the most. The things that we want to point out that they're not doing well, we struggle with as well. And, and so praise can be a good thing. It can be a positive thing. Criticism can be a good thing. It can be a positive thing. But we have to make sure that it's in balance with God's Word. And it's not just our insecurity showing up but it's our in our ways but it's what god's word says and so let's look back one more time at matthew 7 here how can you think of saying to your friend let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye so one of the most important things that we can do is we want to help somebody we've got to get our heart right if i if i want to be someone who can help people i've got to be i got to make sure that my heart's right i loved in the testimony last week and i don't know if you guys talk this or not but Larry, whenever him and Aaron were sharing their testimony, Larry said, he goes, I can become an obstacle to helping people. He said, because of my codependency or whatever, he said, I get in the way of what God is trying to do in people's lives. I hope, hopefully you heard that because that, there's a lot of truth in that. As parents, we can get in that same mode. Instead of helping our kids, we, man, we become, we become enablers and we enable our kids to, to not succeed and to not do things. And so we've got to be willing to ask ourselves, what am I doing to help people around me and I'm not enabling them? How am I getting there? How am I getting to that point? And so what we do is we, we've got to look at Scripture. Scripture always points it out. But the main thing here is to make sure that our heart's right. Make sure your heart's right. If you're going to help somebody, make sure your heart's right. The Bible even talks about be careful about getting around certain people you know, and dealing with certain things that you're not ready for yet. So we have to be prepared spiritually, we have to be prepared mentally, we have to be prepared for all those things that come against us. And so here, here we go. Helping without enabling. How do you do that? How do you help someone without enabling? You know, benevolence is one of those things that we do as a church. You know, we're, we help people out that are going through tough times. But how do you help someone without enabling them to continue in the same pattern they're in? As a mom or a dad, that's one of the questions we often ask. You know, how do you help your child without you know, enabling them to continue in a, in a bad path or a bad pattern or a bad rhythm. And so how do we do that? And so here's, here's some of these, some of these going to maybe hit hard, but offer what they need, not what they want. Offer what they need. You know, and I often will be talking to people and I'll say, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I said, this may not be what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear. And I'm not doing it to be mean. I'm not doing it to try to hurt their feelings or whatever, but I'm trying to help them. And I believe that Scripture is clear that there are times that we have to speak to the need you know, and not worry about what they're wanting to hear. And there's some of us in, you know, in here. Let me just tell you, we live in a culture right now, teaching-wise, teaching the Bible, that a lot of teachers are literally wanting to kind of rein back teaching God's Word because they want to tickle people's ears. You know, and I have to make sure that, you know what, I am teaching God's Word. Our staff, we talk about that. I mean, we want to rightly divide the Word of God. This past week, we had a staff uh, training day where we get together and we're kind of going over the calendar. And the goals that we talk about is we want to be able to rightly divide the Word of God. You know, not that we just want to say what people need to, they want to hear. We want to teach people what they need to hear. And I would say the same thing applies in our lives as well. 
Look at this here. It says, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Get up and walk. He has a beggar who has come up to him asking him for, for, for silver or gold or money. He was a beggar and he was crippled. And then Peter took the lame man by his right hand and he helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Man, when you see that, you realize, you know what? He didn't need silver or gold. This beggar needed to be healed of this, these lame legs. And, and so, you know, P- Peter's able to reach down, take him by the hand, pull him up. And through the power of God, he was able to walk. Man, he began to celebrate and he began to dance around. He became a witness to everyone in the in the whole you know, uh, uh, church there that meant everybody was like, you know, this is amazing. We've known this guy for years. And so whenever Peter d- walks in and does this, man, it, it radically changed everything. And so we see that, you know, Peter looked beyond what he wanted to what he needed. And so in our relationships, you've got people around you, you've got children, you've got moms and dads, you've got people around you that you've got to be willing to say, God, help me to help me to uh, you know look for those things that are the real needs. Help me to look for those things that are the real needs. And so we have to understand that. Identify the real need. What is the real need? Is it really, do they really need to talk to me or do they really need some information on, hey, what the next step might be? Do they really need money or do they need some help? Do they really need some friends around them, uh, you know, or do they need some accountability? You know, and so what we often say, hey, I need some friends. No, you need accountability. You need some people around you that love you. I tell people this all the time. You need to surround yourself with people that love you, that want you to be successful, and they want you to be the best that you can be. Your marriage. You need to surround your marriage with people that love your marriage, and they love your spouse, and they want your family to be healthy and whole. Too often what we do is we surround ourselves with people that do not have our best interest in mind. You know, they've got their own agenda. You know, and hey, they just want to have fun or whatever. But you need to have some healthy guardrails around your marriage and around your relationships and around your family so that you can make sure, you know what, hey, and I want to be able to identify the real needs. Well, I'm just telling you, every one of us in this room has that real need. We need good accountability around us. We need good, healthy families that love our family around us, that they're praying for us and they're interceding for us. And they're not challenging us or tempting us to do things that are detrimental to our marriage or detrimental to our family. And then here's the next one. So identify the real need and then pay attention to actions, not words. You know, everybody can kind of tell you what they, you know, what you should do, right? But you pay attention to to actions and uh, you watch someone and you're, you're watching. They're telling you what their needs are, but you also have to look at their actions. What are their actions doing? The actions speak really clear, really loudly. Words can just kind of tickle the ear. And so it's kind of like someone who says, uh, you mean, hey, I need to, I can't find a job or whatever. And so what they're saying is I can't find a job. And right now, I don't know about you guys, but everywhere you look, they're hiring, right? Everywhere that, that you look, they're hiring. And there's a lot of people that just don't want to work. I get that. That's, again, that's a hard issue because the Bible says that God blesses hard work and that we are supposed to work. You know, and, and that's not a political thing. That's a biblical thing. Just go ahead and get your mind around. That's a biblical thing that we're to work and we're to work hard and we're to work as unto the Lord, right? And so we're to work. So there's jobs there where some people say, well, I, I, I can't find a job. Well, the question is, is, is looking at their action. Hey, are, they're not looking for a job. I can't find a job, but they're not looking for a job. And so, you know, I mean, I can't find anything. Are you looking? And their actions will tell you. You know, there's people that go week after week after week and, you know, they don't have a job. And you go, have you got a job? I, I can't find anything. Have you looked? That's action. You're, you have to move to action. And so pay attention to the actions, not words. Someone may say, well, you know, I can't seem to get a date. 
Well, dude, have you thought about brushing your teeth? Have you thought about combing your hair? Have you thought about washing your clothes? Have you thought about wearing deodorant? Have you thought about kind of fixing yourself up? You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's little actions that come into play there. And, and so you got to do those things. And, and hey, be something that somebody wants to spend time with. Get your heart right. Get yourself in shape. I mean, clean yourself up. You know, those things come into play. So it's not just about words. It's about actions. And so we have to be willing to do that. So here's the other thing. Number two. We have to set healthy boundaries. I can't tell you how many times I have said that sentence in the last three to four weeks with people. You know, in counseling, what it, hey, set healthy boundaries. Boundaries, you know, it kind of identifies where I end and someone else begins. Healthy boundaries kind of protect us. I was driving down the, uh, the road yesterday and I saw where a guardrail had been hit. And it was obvious that someone had hit it and gone off, you know, airborne into, into a ditch or something like that. And those guardrails are there to try to keep that from happening. Obviously, they were going fast enough that whenever they hit it, they just kept going. And so we got to have healthy boundaries in our life. There's a reason there's a, there's a white line, you know, there's a line in the middle of the road to say, hey, listen, this is the right lane, this is the left lane, you know, whatever. There's signs, speed limit signs. We all think they're trying to torture us. They're not. They're trying to keep you alive. I was reading a stat this past week where, you know, how many uh, alcohol-related accidents happen in the state of Alabama. And one of them said, you know, that like 49% of them happen on Saturday night. The second one is Sunday. You know, the second most uh, accidents are on Sunday. And then the third was Friday. I thought it would have been different than that. But what it is is people driving. And it said most of those accidents happen on county roads. These narrow two-lane roads where they, they can't keep it between the lines. So why do they have those boundaries there? To protect us. Why do you have boundaries around your family? To protect your family. Why do you have boundaries around your marriage to protect your marriage? And so we have to set healthy boundaries. Healthy boundaries. Look at what it says here. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. You know, he had already established, hey, you know what, this is important. And so he set a boundary. He said, you know what, I'm going to go off alone. Hey, I don't need you guys around. I need time with the Father. And so he was pretty intentional about that. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. But he knew what the priority was, what? It was to meet with the Father. And there's times, and I, listen, I understand for a lot of you moms and dads, there's always, there's always going to be something come up. There will always be someone that needs you. And a lot of times we get our self-worth from someone needing us, which is unhealthy. We just need to go, you know what? Hey, I will be there and I will help you. But first, I've got to help myself by spending time with the fathers. Jesus modeled that. We say that we're Christ followers. Then we follow his example by meeting with the Father first. We meet with him. We make sure our hearts are right. We make sure that we're prayed up. We make sure that we're ready to go out and help other people. Counselors. If you're a Christian counselor, let me tell you, one of the worst things that we do is we don't set boundaries. And what we do is we're trying to solve everybody's problems and we feel like they need us. And really what we need is we need time with the Father so that we can go and hopefully prayerfully help them. And what happens is we get overwhelmed, we get stressed out. And man, it's, it's a burden to those people's burdens. But what we've got to be willing to do is, hey, put those burdens at the foot of the cross. Be, be willing to give those back to God. And so Jesus modeled it. He set time boundaries. You have to set time boundaries. I do. You know, whenever you're in a counseling appointment, set a, set a boundary. If you're meeting with someone to talk and they say, hey, I just need to talk. If they go, hey, man, the last time I met with them, it went three hours. You tell, hey, you, I got an hour. I got an hour and a half. You might say, well, that sounds mean. No, it it helps them kind of narrow it down and kind of get focused on what really is the issue rather than all this peripheral stuff. And, you know, set time boundaries. Hey, listen, we're going to bed at a certain time. 
You know, for moms and dads, why, why don't we put our kids to bed whenever they're little, and then whenever they become teenagers, they get to stay up all night long, do whatever they want to do, because we were trying to give them what they needed. Our kids need rest, and a teenager needs more sleep than, than even a child does. And so why do we set those boundaries? Because we want them to be healthy. Why do we set boundaries on our marriages, around our marriages? Because we want them to be healthy. And so we, we set time boundaries. You know, moms and dads, let me just tell you this. You know, your kids are awesome. And I, I'm, I'm excited that you've got kids. But they are not your guide and they are not your world. I know everybody posts that on Facebook. They're my heart. They're my world. Whatever. But I'm just telling you, that should be God. And here's the thing. They should be right there pretty close. But your spouse should be second and then your children after that. And in this culture that we live in, it's constantly putting the children on the pedestal and on the throne of our life. And that is idolatry. And so we have to be willing to say, God, help me to keep everything in check. God, help me to love you and love you with everything that's in me. We just talked about that, reading that out of Deuteronomy. And then help me to love my spouse. And then help us to love our children in a way that honors you. So set good time boundaries. Here's another one. Resource boundaries. You know, you have to set some resource boundaries and say, hey, listen, I can help you. But, hey, listen, I'll give you two months and that's it. Or I'll give you a week. I'm going to help you this one time, but I'm not going to continue to help you. I'm not going to continue to, you know, to just pour money into something. But there's always a time when someone needs help. And we've got to be willing to say, help me, let me help them, but not enable them. And so you help them for a, a time uh, boundary. And then you also set a resource boundary. And say, listen, when this money is gone, that's it. You know what we, we do here as a church? We have a benevolence fund and we use that whenever it's gone, it's gone. You can't just give money you don't have. I know that's a crazy concept, but I'm just telling you, you can't do that. So what we do is we try to help people. But you have resource boundaries. And you also have things that you help them with. Say, hey, listen, I'm going to help you with this, but you've got to learn to help yourself. So what we do is we have financial coaching to help people learn how to manage their money and how to let, let them kind of get, get, get control of that. So we have to do those things. So you have to set time boundaries and resource boundaries. And then here's number three. Allow them to face their consequences. Toughest thing in the world for a parent. Your kid doesn't turn in his paper when he's supposed to. Let him get an F. That's hard, isn't it? They don't, hey, they don't, you know, do something the right way, you know, and you want to go in and kind of bail them out and you want to call a teacher up and chew them out. I understand there's some crappy teachers out there. I, I get there's some of them out there, but there's some great teachers out there. There's some great teachers out there that do their job. And your child is not doing their job. And they're not being responsible. And they're, not, they're not bringing things home. And they're not doing what they should be doing. Get on your child, not the teacher. I mean, when I was a kid, man, I got a spanking when I got home if I got a spanking at school. Like I would, we, back then, you know, you had corporal punishment, I guess they call it. I would go in and my, my vice principal would lift me off the thing with a, with a ruler or whatever or a, a board. And then I would come home and get another one because I had gone against what the teachers had said. That mentality is gone. I get that. Some of y'all look at me like I'm a freak up here, like, what in the world? But I'm just telling you, there's oftentimes that your kid needs to take responsibility, and we need to be teaching them that. That's what Scripture teaches. You take responsibility. You take ownership. You do things. You know, and here's the thing. They have to learn that from you, that, you know what, we're not making excuses. We're going to either make adjustments, we're going to make changes, we're going to make a difference. But if you're always making excuses for your child, you're not helping them. You're enabling them. And so you've got to allow them to face their consequences. And that's a hard one. Look what it says in Galatians. It says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. It's kind of like the, uh, what you sow, you reap. If you grew up with that mentality, what you sow. If you sow 
corn seed, you're not going to get wheat. If you sow wheat, you're not going to get corn. But if you're sowing to feed the flesh, if your child is sowing to feed the flesh, if your family member is sowing to feed the flesh, they're going to reap what they get. And so we have to be careful about not bailing them out. You know, you have to have a conversation. Hey, listen, if you do this, this is the consequences, that's it. And I understand a bleeding heart. And I understand a mom or a dad, you know, not wanting. I've told my kids one time I, had, I told my son, I said, hey, listen, he got in trouble. And I love to hunt. He loves to hunt. And so we we'd, uh, had, had this hunt planned. And uh, I said, hey, listen, you're not going. And I wanted him to go. And, it, and I just said, you know what? We're not going. So I missed out. He missed out. And there are times it's going to be that way. You just got to be willing to say, hey, listen, the consequences are affecting us all. And I'll just tell you this. If mom and dad, if you don't teach them at home then the law has to teach them. And then whenever they start breaking those laws, not a whole lot you can do about it. And so we have a responsibility to teach them boundaries. Don't be mis- misled by, you cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. If you're feeding the flesh, if it's always about what you want when you want it, and not anything about God, that is your God. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Man, what a great promise. Everlasting life. And like I said, whenever we live to satisfy the Spirit of God, you know, and, and we want God to be honored by our decisions, by our life, how we treat people, and by how we help people, that we help him help them in a, in a healthy way, we're honoring Him. And so look at this, this last one here. Rescuing isn't always helping. And I know as a parent, man, we always want to rescue our kids. And sometimes we've got friends that we're always rescuing our friend. We're not helping them sometimes. There's a time to rescue and there's a time to let them deal with the consequences. And so we have to be willing to say, God, help me to know the difference between the two. So rescuing them is not, isn't always helping. And then here's the last one. Jesus is the Savior, not you. The main thing that our family members need, whether it's our children, our mom or our dad, our brother, our sister, aunt, uncle, you know, maybe it's a co-worker, whoever, what we all need is a relationship with Jesus Christ. We need a Savior. We've all blown it. We've all messed up. And too often what we try to do is we try to be the Savior for someone, and man, that's just the wrong place to be. We need to let Jesus be the one that changes them. And so I want to give you, uh, you know, one, one more thing here. I think this is important for us to understand. We can't please all people, but we can please God. I can't please everybody. I can't please everybody in this room. I can't please everybody that's watching on, on online. I can't please everybody. You know, and here's the thing. We look back at Jesus. Jesus didn't please everybody. He didn't please everybody. There were times that, you know, Jesus taught things that they, man, people get stirred up and then they wanted to stone him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was teaching things that they wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill him. And eventually they would nail him to a cross. So you can't please everybody. But here's what I love. You can please God. Jesus pleased the Father. He honored the Father. You're not going to always please your children. You're not going to always please your mom and dad. You can honor your mom and dad. You're not going to always please your friends. But you can honor God. Look at this passage here. It says, where we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. Don't you love that statement? Man, I want to live to please God, not people. And we live in a culture where it's all about trying to please the masses and the crowds. Jesus did not model that. He modeled honoring the Father. 
And, and so a couple of next steps for today is let God work in my heart first. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching online. You go, you know what? I've been handling this relationship in an unhealthy way. And God, I need you to start on me. I need you to work on me. God, I need you to work on my heart. Show me what, you know, what needs to change in me. So let God work in your heart first. And that's the next one. Ask God to reveal what I need to confess. What do I need to confess to God? What do I need to confess that, God, I have missed you? I have been doing this in my own strength, in my own power. I've been really doing it in a way that doesn't line up with your word. God, I want to confess that. And, God, the second thing is I want to repent of that. I want to quit living that way. Repentance is turning from that. And then the third step here today is to trust God. You may have a family member. You just got to trust God. Maybe you got a mom or a dad that you've been trying to help, but, man, they are... They're just, they're just staying on the same path. It's path of destruction. Maybe you've got a child staying on the same path, path of destruction. You have to give them to God. You have to trust God. You might be asking, well, Mike, how do I change? You have to trust God. You have to trust Him to change you. You have to trust Him to work in you. You have to trust Him to reveal what the next step might be. Relationships are tough. I told these parents earlier, the toughest job in the world is raising kids, especially in this culture. But man, with, by putting your trust in God, by loving Him with everything that's in you, you can raise incredible kids that who knows, maybe missionaries or pastors or teachers, but they're godly men and women. I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ. Let today be the day of salvation for you. Maybe you're here today and you realize, Mike, man, I am in a dysfunctional relationship. And I need to get my heart right. I've been going about it the wrong way. I have not followed any of these steps or any of these guidelines that we see in Scripture. And I have broken Matthew chapter 7 all day long, every day. Maybe you're here and you just wrestle with insecurities. Or maybe, you know, you're watching online you go, man, that insecurity deal, that's me. And so right now today you just say god i want to ask you to forgive me for putting my focus and my trust in myself and being so focused on my insecurities rather than being focused on the strength that you offer and so so jesus i'm asking you to come into my life i'm asking you to save me i'm asking you to heal me and maybe you've got like i said a family member in your life that you've been trying to help them but you realize you know what i've been enabling them just confess that to God. Say, God, I, I, I realize what I've been doing. God, I want to change. I need your strength. I need your help. He will give it to you. God, I trust you. I trust you, and I'm going to follow you. I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be tough, but I trust you. I'm going to follow you. If you're here today and you put your faith in Christ, man, we want to know. If you're watching online and you put your faith in Christ, we want to know. And let me tell you how to do that. Let me just be real clear, real simple with that. How do you accept Christ? How do you receive Christ? By faith and faith alone. You say, Jesus, I want to ask you to come into my life. I want you to come into my heart, to my life. I want you to take over. I want you to be leader. I want you to be Lord. I want to quit living the way that I've been living. And I want to live for you. That's repentance. I want to live for you. And I want to follow your teaching. By faith, I believe that you can save me. I believe that you can change me. And if you pray that prayer, you will be saved. You become a child of God. You become part of the family. Father, thank you for meeting with us today. And Father, we thank you for Mother's Day. I pray that it's a special day for these moms. 
And God, we thank you for the, the fact that relationships, God, you wanted a relationship with us. You purchased us with the life of your son. Father, you literally gave everything for this relationship between us and you. So God, I pray that we would see the value of relationships and how important it is that they be healthy, godly, and righteous. So Father, thank you for meeting with us today. Father, we pray that we would have honored you in some way today. In Jesus' name, amen.